We continue in our series, The Fruit of the Spirit, this Lord's Day, and I invite you to consider with me our ongoing text, Galatians 5, verses 22 through 23, up to the fruit of meekness. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness. And then to accompany this text, 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 15 through 16. Speaking of false teachers that are within the church, Peter says, which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Bosor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but was rebuked for his iniquity, the dumb ass speaking with man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. If the life of Jesus Christ provides a biography of meekness in willingly and joyfully submitting to the yoke of his Father, even to the point of suffering the equivalent of the horrors of hell for those who trust him, who might provide a biography of anti-meekness? in acting as though he took upon himself the yoke of God, but in reality took upon himself merely the yoke of his own selfish ambition rather than the yoke of Christ. Well, I submit that when we consider the life of Balaam, we read a biography of anti-meekness, a counterfeit meekness, a mere superficial facade of submission to the Lord, but a deeply rooted pride to seek earthly reward over humbly taking up the yoke of Christ, the yoke of meekness in submission to the will of Jesus Christ. Dear ones, when Jesus commands those who would follow him to take his yoke upon them and to learn of him because he is meek and lowly in heart. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, Jesus does not consider this to be the extraordinary Christian who takes his yoke upon himself or herself. This is simply what every Christian who trusts alone in Christ alone, does. This is not going beyond the call of duty to take the yoke of Christ upon us. This is simply our humble and loving service to Jesus Christ who loved us and gave his life for us. You see, the meekness of Jesus Christ is summarized in these words. Not my will, but thine be done. 
Luke 22:42. That's meekness, dear ones. Not what I want, not what I plan, not what I possess, but what Christ wants, what Christ plans, and what Christ gives to me. Meekness, dear ones, is not clinging to our life, nor is it clinging to the world, but rather surrendering our life. Surrendering what we have in this world to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. The main points for the sermon this Lord's Day are these. Number one, anti-meekness, that is counterfeit meekness, loves the wages of unrighteousness. 2 Peter 2.15 And the second main point Anti-meekness, again, counterfeit meekness, will not submit to the yoke of Christ. 2 Peter 2.16 Let us consider then our first main point. Anti-meekness loves the wages of unrighteousness. Consider with me uh, again, Second Peter 2.15, which says, Which have forsaken the right way, and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Bosor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. The Apostle Peter's design in Second Peter chapter 2 is to warn Christians about certain false teachers who had secretly come into the assembly of the church. And to expose these false teachers as those who propagate various heresies and live a life of compromise for the sake of earthly gain. <coughs> Peter calls these false teachers in 2 Peter 2.10, he characterizes them as self-willed, self-willed, living for self rather than living for Christ. And that's what I mean by anti-meek. Whereas meekness is taking the yoke of Christ and submitting humbly to the Lord Jesus Christ in his will. Anti-meekness is not taking that, but pretending as if one has taken outwardly that yoke upon oneself, but inwardly there isn't that submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And it comes out eventually in one's life, as we will see occurred in the life of Balaam. Peter states that these false teachers were like Balaam, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. Verse 15, 2 Peter chapter 2. Jude also, Jude also exposes false teachers with similar words in Jude verse 11, when he says, Woe unto them, for they ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward. 
for what they could gain in this world, for reward. In both of these cases, Balaam is identified as one who did not submit and surrender all to Jesus Christ, but as one who only pretended to submit while rebelling in his heart in order to gain an earthly reward. Balaam's faith was not in the Lord, and his heart and his affections were not given over and fixed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. They were rather fixed upon the things of this world, what the world offered him, what the world could give to him. And it was not meekness, that is, submission to Christ's will that characterized Balaam, as we shall see. But it was rather anti-meekness, resisting Christ's will, loving the rewards which this world offers over the rewards which Christ offers. In order to understand Balaam's biography of anti-meekness and loving the riches and reward of this world over Christ, we need to turn back to the Old Testament. And so I invite you to turn back with me to Numbers chapter 22 in your Bibles, Numbers 22, where we find the account of Balaam. Balaam is somewhat of an enigma and a puzzle to to many because God appears to him. God speaks to Balaam. Speaks to him his word that he is to convey to Balak, king of Moab. And yet Balaam is identified with false teachers and false prophets in 2 Peter 2, verses 15 through 16, and in Jude 11. You see, Balaam is like Judas Iscariot, who was one of Christ's twelve apostles, gifted with the same supernatural gifts as the other eleven apostles. And yet Christ called Judas a devil, a devil in John chapter 6, verse 70. Balaam is likewise gifted by God, but Balaam's heart Heart and affections do not belong to God. Like Judas, Balaam had some kind of a relationship or association with the Lord. And yet he was far away from a true faith in and love for the Lord. Like Judas, who looked to an earthly reward of reigning here upon the earth with Christ over the Romans... And who also, we find in John 12, 6, stole from the offering bag, from the money bag. He was in charge of it. He was the treasurer and he was pilfering. He was taking money out of it. So Balaam looked likewise to an earthly reward of riches, of gain, which he prized more than an everlasting reward of righteousness. And reigning with Christ. Like Judas, who was self willed, that is anti meek, so was Balaam anti meek. 
self-willed. Both were outwardly willing to give some kind of semblance of following the Lord. Both were within the visible church, as it were, by way of acknowledging and professing, having some type of a profession of Jesus Christ or of God. But in both cases, their anti-meek resistance against the will of Christ characterized their lives in betraying the Lord for an earthly reward. The biography of anti-meek Balaam begins in Numbers chapter 22, verses 1 through 6, with Balak, the king of Moab, being in great fear over the innumerable na- uh, nation of Israel, the forces of Israel, as he sees them cover the land beneath him. He is, he, he's in a panic. He's freaking out over the number of them. They're like grasshoppers, as it were, that have, have filled the land. He also has heard how God miraculously opened the Red Sea and brought the children of Israel across the Red Sea on dry ground and how he brought the Red Sea crushing down upon the Egyptians and destroying them and causing their bodies to be washed up upon the shore. He had also heard how most recently Israel had destroyed a nation of giants, the Amorites. God had brought marvelous victory to Israel. So Balak decides to call upon Balaam to curse Israel for him as being the easy way out. I mean, you know, curse Israel, there's, there's no fighting, there's no fuss, uh, there's simply Israel's destruction. Or, at the least, they're so greatly weakened that Balak can then overcome them with his forces. <clears throat> Balak the king decides then to send a delegation of important elders of Moab to present to Balaam the king's request, along with certain rewards, rewards, according to Numbers 22.7. Balaam provides lodging for the elders of Moab and brings the matter unto the Lord. It's interesting, the word there, unto the Lord, the word Lord, Uh, uh, He doesn't bring this matter to a false god. He brings this matter to the Lord. Uh, In the Hebrew text, it is the word Yahweh. It is the word, uh, the covenant name of God. He brings this to Yahweh, or Jehovah, as it's translated many times in the King James Version. There's some type of, again, of an association with the one true living God that Balaam has. If Balaam knew the covenant name of God revealed to Moses at the burning bush, which was Yahweh, then surely he knew about Israel's exodus out of Egypt. Is it likely that 
The king of Moab knew of Israel's deliverance and and their passing through the Red Sea and the Egyptians being destroyed. And Balaam knew nothing about that? Not very likely. How then could Balaam dare to ask the God of Israel if he would be all right with cursing his people Israel? This is absolutely incredible. Balaam's heart of love for worldly achievement and reward is already, at this point, indicated in the fact that he did not send these guys packing. That he did not banish them and tell them, get out of here. I can't curse Israel. They're God's people. But instead, Balaam For the reward, gives them lodging. First step, he gives them lodging. Well, as he goes to the Lord, God appears to Balaam, possibly in a dream, and commands Balaam not to go with the elders of Moab, for God had blessed Israel. Numbers chapter 22 Verse 12, we read, And God said unto Balaam, Thou shalt not go with them. Thou shalt not curse the people, for they are blessed. You see, this is the stated will of God. This is the revealed will of God. It's not complicated. It's not unclear. This is what God commanded. This should have once and for all settled The issue with Balaam, that he should never again entertain a subsequent visit from these types of men on behalf of Balak the king to bring a curse upon Israel. And so we find here that Balaam outwardly submitted outwardly submitted. He went back to them and said, I can't go with you. Um, you know, I, I cannot accompany you. Uh, send this message back to King Balak. And off went the elders with their rich reward back to King uh, Balak in Numbers chapter 22, verses 13 through 14. But as we shall see, Balaam though outwardly submitting, showing an outward meekness, really was practicing an anti-meekness because it was a counterfeit meekness. He did not submit inwardly to the will of the Lord. However, Balak, the king of Moab, uh, when the news comes back to him, he's not going to take no for an answer. And he proceeds to send an even more distinguished entourage to visit Balaam. This time, he's not sending the elders of Moab, he's sending the princes of Moab. And this time, Balak, the king, promises to promote Balaam to a high place of honor in the kingdom, and to give to Balaam whatever 
he would ask. In other words, Balaam, name your price. Name your price. In Numbers 22, 17, we read that this is the message from Balak. For I will promote thee unto very great honor, and I will do whatsoever thou sayest unto me. Come therefore, I pray thee, curse me this people. Now as I said earlier, had Balaam's heart been what it ought to be by way of an inward meekness, not a mere facade of outward meekness, he would not have even entertained these men a second time. God had already revealed his will to to Balaam. But Balaam responds with some type of a pious statement that he can only say what the Lord allows him to say. But he will go once again and ask the Lord, nevertheless, if he should go with the princes of Moab and stand before Balak in order to curse Israel. And this he does in Numbers 22, verses 18 through 19. You see, it's not only because Balak, the king, would not take no for an answer, but it's also because Balaam would not take no for an answer. He wanted those earthly rewards. He wanted the honor. He wanted the success. He wanted his earthly ambition realized. As will become clear, it is not because Balaam wants to submit in meekness to the will of God that he goes once again to the Lord with the second offer from Balak, king of Moab. It's rather because Balaam wants to use the Lord. I want to make a distinction here. Balaam wants to use the Lord, not be used by the Lord. That is, even as Christians, we must continually check our hearts in our prayers, in, our, in what we desire, what we want, and why we go to the Lord. Do we want to use the Lord to accomplish what we want, to bring about what we want, what we desire in our hearts, or do we rather, above all else, simply want to be used by the Lord? Used by the Lord. <clears throat> On the part of Balaam, Balaam wants to use the Lord, not to serve the Lord, not to be used by the Lord. He wants to use the Lord in order to obtain some earthly prize and honor before man. You see, again, it was not that Balaam did not know the will of God. It was because he did not want to do the will of God. Balaam acts as if God can be manipulated, as if the sovereign God, the creator, 
can be manipulated by means of going to him a second time. Otherwise, why would he have gone? Wasn't the first time sufficient? Dear ones, we have to realize in this life that we may be manipulated. We as people may be manipulated at times by the tears, by threats, by the attack of others whether they're family, friends, whether it be enemies, we need to understand something. God cannot be manipulated by us or by anyone else. He is absolutely righteous, holy, and sovereign. We'll indeed, dear ones, find mercy find mercy at his throne of grace when we come beating our chests and crying out to God, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. But we cannot manipulate him. We cannot bargain with him. We cannot bring about manipulation by our mere outward tears or by our willingness to sacrifice this or that. Oh Lord, I'll I'll do this for you if you'll simply give me this. We cannot manipulate God. We come, and if we offer to Him sacrifices, we do so knowing we do not deserve the least from God, the least blessing from God. We do so humbly, in offering ourselves first and foremost, not things that we do, but first and foremost, offering ourselves as living sacrifices to the Lord, giving up our all, surrendering who we are unto Jesus Christ. Once God does appear to Balaam a second time, Interestingly, God gives Balaam an okay to accompany the princes back to stand before Balak, the king of Moab, in Numbers chapter 22, verses 20 through 21. And so the question is in our minds, why? Why would the Lord, being so clear about not going, now say, okay, you can go? Well, this is not a case of Balaam submitting to the will of God, I submit to you. But rather, this is a case of God giving Balaam over to the wicked and selfish ambitions of his own heart. You want to go, Balaam? You want to stand before the king? You want the riches? You want the honor? You want? Go for it. Go with them. Let's say, I propose to you, dear ones, what may at times seem to be God's blessing upon a person's life with riches, with successes, with accomplishments, with the applause of others, may in fact be God's turning one over to his or her own selfish, willful ambitions of his or her heart, just like he did with Balaam. Blessings are not always what they appear to be. 
sometimes blessings that we interpret as blessings or that the world interprets as blessings may in fact simply be God turning us over to our own wicked ambitions as Christians to teach us, to instruct us. Those who are not Christians to bring judgment upon them here, even within this world. God having revealed to Balaam in the first place that he would not curse Israel. A meek, a meek Balaam would have taken the yoke of the Lord upon him and sent the princes off, sent the princes packing rather than, again, receiving them into his home, granting to them lodging when this had already been revealed to him that he was not to go. This does not mean that we ought not to be persistent in prayer when we do not immediately receive those good things for which we ask. It doesn't mean that we ought not to be persistent to, to persevere in praying for that which is good. For the Lord says that he'll not withhold any good thing from them who walk uprightly. The Lord says that if a earthly father who is sinful will give good gifts to his children, how much more will our heavenly father give only that which is good to us? So if we pray for something and it's not good for us, the Lord does not give that to us. But if we persist in seeking that which is good as defined by God's word, by his commandments, then we, we can continue to pray. But I submit to you, dear ones, we need to continually inspect our hearts for selfish ambition, a desire to be honored, a desire for earthly reward as that pushes us, as that presses in upon us. is not good for us. Our heart needs to be changed. And if we continue to go our willful ways like Balaam in pressing for that, from that kind of motive, and God gives to us what we ask, it will be in order to correct us as his children, to chasten us, to discipline us. We come now to the second main point. Anti-meekness will not submit to the yoke of Christ. Considering 2 Peter 2.16, speaking of Balaam, but was rebuked for his iniquity, the dumb ass speaking with man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. Up to this point, we have seen indications in the biography of Balaam's anti-meekness, counterfeit meekness, that what moved Balaam was not the yoke of Christ in humbly submitting to the revealed will of God, but rather a love 
for the wages of unrighteousness. The true nature of Balaam's sin in resisting the will of God now becomes ever so clear in the narrative that follows. On the following morning, after he goes the second time unto the Lord, the Lord turns Balaam over with an okay, with the idea, the view of the Lord uh, turning him over to his own selfish ambitions. Balaam saddles his donkey and sets out in royal splendor, being led by the royal princes of the king of Moab. Now you can just imagine one who has that, that love for the wages of unrighteousness, who has a love for the honor among men, how he must have felt being escorted by royal princes of the kingdom of Moab. But at this point, we are confronted with the sin of Balaam and the holy anger of the Lord. In chapter 22, verse 22, where it says, And God's anger was kindled because he went. Because he went. Does that not tell us once again what the revealed will of God was? He wasn't supposed to go. But God gave him over to his selfish ambition. And the angel of the Lord stood in the way for an adversary against him. Now he was riding upon his ass and his two servants were with him. Balaam was clearly disobeying the revealed will of the Lord. The angel of the Lord here, which was most likely a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ, (coughs) blocked the road in which Balaam rode upon the donkey. God blinded the eyes of Balaam and everyone else in this retinue, this uh, entourage, this this delegation, he blinded everyone else's eyes except the eyes of the donkey. The donkey saw, whereas all the rest were blinded as to the angel of the Lord being in the path, wielding his mighty sword in vengeance, waiting for Balaam to approach, that Balaam might be slain. The donkey, seeing the angel of the Lord, veers off into the field. We see in Numbers 22, verse 23, and Balaam takes out his rod and gives him a very hard strike upon his back. Then as the road took Balaam through a vineyard that had walls on both sides of this vineyard, once again, we see that the donkey tries to avoid the angel of the Lord and runs into the wall, jamming Balaam's foot against the wall 
no doubt causing some, some pain. Balaam once again takes out his rod and beats his donkey. A third time, that was in verses 24 through 25, a third time the angel of the Lord appears. And this time in a very, very narrow place where there was no opportunity for the poor donkey to escape from the frightening presence of the angel of the Lord. Thus the poor creature knows not what to do except to stop, fall down. And as the donkey does, Balaam's legs, perhaps other parts of his body, are crushed underneath the weight of the donkey. And Balaam's wrath is unleashed with a fury as he smites the donkey with a rod in verses 26 through 27. It's at this point that God makes it very clear to Balaam how close he came to death due to his anti-meek resistance and rebellion to pursue his own self-will, to pursue his own worldly dreams over a meek submission to the revealed will of God. First, we see that God miraculously puts human words, a voice, into the mouth of the donkey. In verse 28, chapter 22, verse 28. And the Lord opened the mouth of the ass, and she said unto Balaam, What have I done unto thee, that thou hast smitten me these three times? Now that's amazing, and no doubt... uh, something that ought to have shocked Balaam. But what's more amazing is that Balaam starts communicating back and forth in a dialogue with this donkey that's speaking. You see, I think that Balaam was probably so filled with rage and so filled with anger that the fact that this donkey was speaking didn't really dawn upon him. It didn't shock him as it should have. Because had that been the case, the miraculous nature of this should have smitten his heart and said to him, what in the world are you doing? But he's so filled with sinful rage. He so much wants what he wants. He so much characterizes this anti-meekness, this counterfeit meekness that he carries on a conversation with this donkey. As if it were a normal thing. In verses 29 through 30. And Balaam said unto the ass, Because thou hast mocked me, I would there, I would there were a sword in mine hand, for now would I kill thee. The ass said unto Balaam, Am not I thine ass upon which thou hast ridden ever since I was thine unto this day? Was I ever wont to do so unto thee? And he said, Nay. 
said name. No. Balaam beat his donkey, but it was his poor donkey that saved his life, that prevented him from being slain by the sword of the Lord. Dear ones, if we resist the yoke of Christ for the yoke of our own pleasure, for the yoke of our own ambition, for the yoke of our own success in this world, God may choose to show us our foolishness by speaking to us through our own providential donkeys in our lives, the things he brings into our lives. If we will not hear the word of the Lord, if we will not follow him, God will use his providence to speak unto us as clearly if we're, if we're really listening as clearly as this donkey spoke to Balaam. Second, we see here God then opens the eyes of Balaam to behold this terrible figure, the angel of the Lord, with his unsheathed sword standing in the way, simply awaiting Balaam's approach to slay him. In Numbers chapter 22, verses 31 through 33. And the angel of the Lord rebukes Balaam for his anti-meekness in not surrendering all to the Lord, but rather determining to love and to go after what he wanted by way of worldly honor and success. No doubt at this point, Balaam is shaking in his boots as he beholds the angel of the Lord. He confesses with his mouth, not with his heart. He confesses with his mouth his sin and heeding the call of Balak, the king of Moab, and also gives some verbal indication of his willingness to turn back home instead of continuing his journey to Balak, the king of Moab. In verse 34, where we read, And Balaam said unto the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I knew not that thou stoodest in the way against me. Now, therefore, if it displease thee, I will get me back again. But as we will see, I think shortly, he, he confessed his sin verbally, outwardly, but not inwardly, because his heart is still there. He wants the riches. And the Lord then tells Balaam to continue his journey to see Balak, but only to speak the word that God authorizes him to speak in Numbers 22, verse 35. Let no pastor or teacher or any other ever attempt to take credit for what he as a minister or as an elder understands or what he or she in whatever position that one may find oneself in one's calling may understand what one may teach 
or what one does, let no one ever take credit from the glory of God. For God can use, if he chooses to, even a donkey. God can use a donkey. Who do we think we are to boast that God can use a donkey to accomplish his purposes? In Matthew 3, 9, the children of Israel, the Israelites to whom John the Baptist spoke, were laying claim to their special heritage as being the children of Abraham and as being the cause and the reason why uh, they uh, were favored by God uh, or had salvation before God. John the Baptist says this in a similar fashion as what we have just seen with Balaam and the donkey. John the Baptist says this, And think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father, for I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. God is able to take stones along the side of the road and to make them into the children of Abraham, if he chose to do so. Who do you think you are to glory, therefore, in what you boast to have? It is all from God. Well, when Balaam arrives before Balak, the king of Moab, he tells the king that he can only prophesy what the Lord puts into his mouth. And three times Balaam blesses Israel rather than cursing them as King Balak wants him to do. Balak, the king, finally is so upset, he sends Balaam away after the third failure to obtain a curse from Balaam against Israel. In Numbers chapter 24, verses 10 through 11, Numbers 24, 10 through 11, we read, and Balak's anger was kindled against Balaam, and he smote his hands together, and Balak said unto Balaam, I called thee to curse mine enemies, and behold, thou hast altogether blessed them these three times. Therefore now flee thou to thy place. I thought to promote thee unto great honor, but lo, the Lord hath kept thee back from honor." One would think that Balaam had been taught of the Lord, that he had learned his lesson through all of this, that he had learned from the Lord the vanity and wickedness of his own yoke of loving, selfish, and worldly reward and ambition. But such is not the case. For we learn later on, we learn later on that Balaam was slain by Israel because he was in fellowship and among the Midianites. Having failed to obtain the earthly reward that he loved and coveted, he conspired with Balak, king of Moab, and with the Midianites to bring God's judgment upon Israel in order to seek to bring God's judgment upon Israel by inviting Israel to their immoral feasts. 
and eating meat that had been offered to their false gods. You can't beat them this way. Let's try a different way, was the attitude of Balaam. This didn't work. Perhaps this will. Let's bring them in to compromise their worship of the one true living God, compromise their standards of morality, the standards, the commandments that God had given to them in his, in his word within the Ten Commandments. Let's bring about compromise. This will bring then God's judgment upon them as they associate with this wickedness. And that's in Numbers chapter 31, exactly what happened. God did bring a plague upon Israel for having joined in these immoral, idolatrous feasts with Balak, the Moabites, and with the Midianites. And we find in Numbers 31, verse 8, Speaking of the Israelites, and they slew the kings of Midian beside the rest of them that were slain, namely Evi and Rechem and Zur and Hur and Reba, five kings of Midian. Balaam, also the son of Beor, they slew with the sword. And then in verse 16 of the same chapter. Verse 15 says, And Moses said unto them, Have ye saved all the women alive? Verse 16, Behold, these caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to commit trespass against the Lord in the matter of Peor. And there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. Revelation 2.14 The Lord Jesus says, But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam. Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. Compromise. Develop these types of friendly relations with those who hate our God, who are enemies of the living God. Develop those intimate relationships so that we go to their feasts and they come to ours so that there's that kind of interchange and compromise. And pretty soon, we will know the judgment of the Lord. God will not be mocked. Thus Balaam outwardly confessed his sin unto the angel of the Lord in Numbers twenty two thirty four, when he said, I have sinned. But once again, based upon the subsequent accounts that we have just read, Balaam had not taken up the yoke of Christ to submit in meekness, to willingly give up his love for earthly riches and ambition and dreams and honor in order to follow the will of the Lord and to take the yoke of Christ upon him. Balaam's repentance at this point 
was the repentance of one who got caught with his hand in the cookie jar. He regrets he got caught, but he does not repent that he has offended the holy God, the one true living God, that he has offended the one who spared his life, who could have slain and destroyed him. You see, dear ones, true repentance, first and foremost, is not regret, but is grief and sorrow and shame over how we have offended the one who has loved us and saved us as his people, against whom we have sinned. Against thee, thee only have I sinned and done that which is wicked and evil in thy sight, David prayed. He had sinned against Bathsheba. He had sinned against Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. He had sinned against his family. He had sinned against all Israel. But against thee, thee only have I sinned. That's where repentance begins. I find it very enlightening what God thinks of our own anti-meekness. In loving and pursuing our own ways, our own rewards, our own ambitions and dreams, our own pleasures, our own successes and accomplishments. God calls it madness. Madness. In 2 Peter 2.16, speaking of Balaam, but was rebuked for his iniquity, the dumb ass speaking with man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. The Greek word used here means out of one's mind. Dear ones, we are out of our minds. We are acting in a most self-destructive manner when we take up the yoke of anti-meekness in loving and following our own dreams, successes, and ambitions rather than taking up the yoke of meekness in loving and pursuing Jesus Christ, in surrendering all to Jesus Christ, and in submitting all that we are and ever hope to be to Jesus Christ and for his glory Regardless of what the world may think about us, from God's perspective, which is the only perspective that truly counts, only we who take the yoke of Christ upon us in meekness and humble submission to him are not mad, are not mad. Only we who take the yoke of Christ are not out of our minds. Only we who take the yoke of Christ are not self-destructive. Let me leave you with the following applications in closing. Prayer, dear ones, is not intended to change God, but rather to change us so that we can earnestly, without resentment, in gratitude and love, cry out to Christ, Not my will, but thine be done. Only when we can come to that, regardless of the decision that needs to be made, not my will, but thine be done. Going to his word 
And if his word does not expressly condemn it, again, seeking to listen to the donkeys, the providential donkeys that God gives to us by way of events, people, circumstances in our life to be able to make those decisions that will honor and glorify him. Balaam continued to inquire of God as though he needed to know God's will or needed to change God's mind. God had made his will very clear to Balaam. Balaam just wanted a different answer. Let that not be true of us. Secondly, another application. Let us use God, let us not use God for our own ends, for our own designs, for our own pleasures in this world. Let us rather constantly plead with the Lord that we would be those who are used of the Lord and by the Lord to serve him by submitting in meekness to the yoke of Christ, even if submitting to the yoke of meekness means that it will bring us into trials, persecution, affliction, heartache, being willing rather to not advance in this world if it means that we are taking the yoke of Christ upon us. Even if it means we are rejected by family, by friends, if it means taking the yoke of Christ upon us. It's so easy to see the folly of Balaam's ways, but we must plead with the Lord to show us the folly of our own ways. And not going to God's word and following and obeying what God has told us to do and not listening to the providential donkeys that he sends our way. When we are using God, it is our happiness that is more important than our holiness. It is our pleasure that is more important to us than his pleasure. Dear ones, the fruit of the spirit of meekness is not trying to mold and shape the doctrine, worship, gospel, and the commandments of God into that which will make our life more easy and more comfortable with those around us. But rather the fruit of meekness. The fruit of meekness is working by the grace of God. Praying without ceasing. Exercising ourselves to godliness that we might be conformed to the image of Christ. And love his doctrine, worship, gospel and commandments. Regardless of what it may cost us in this life. The third application is this. Balaam expressed a desire to die the death of the righteous. In Numbers 23.10, let me die the death of the righteous and let my last end be like his. Amazing. He had enough knowledge of God to want the peaceful conscience of those who are righteous before God in their death and have the hope of everlasting righteousness in heaven. You see, 
the, uh, Balaam had such a desire to die the death of the righteous. But he had no willingness to take the yoke of Christ upon him and to surrender all to Jesus Christ and to walk that road, that path that leads to everlasting life. And lastly, in appearance, Judas may look very much like Peter. Balaam, in appearance, outwardly may look very much like Moses in various respects. But Peter, dear ones, had a broken and contrite heart when he wept at having denied the Lord Jesus Christ. He realized he had offended his Savior. Chief and foremost, Judas was regretful for having betrayed innocent blood, whereas Peter was grieved and broken that he had offended Christ. And Peter's heart of trust in and love for Christ was revealed in lifelong submission and taking the yoke of Christ, taking the yoke of meekness upon himself. His heart was revealed by his actions. Peter struggled in his life. We see that in the ministry of Christ. We see even after uh, when Paul rebukes him publicly. Peter was not sinless. He struggled. He had conflicts with himself. But Peter was humbled by the providential donkeys, as it were, that God used in his life, and he looked to the mercy of God in Christ Jesus. Judas fell into despair and hanged himself. Peter looked in hope to Christ and believed that Christ had died for him and believed that he was crucified with Christ and that he was made alive in Christ. The righteous man falls seven times. Proverbs tells us, and gets up again, like Peter. The wicked man falls, and falls into despair, and does not get up again, to repent like Judas. Thank God for the mercy of Christ Jesus, and granting to us the meekness the fruit of the spirit of meekness, to take the yoke upon us, to live for him, to surrender all to him. For indeed, it is the life of meekness that demonstrates the heart of meekness, that the two go hand in hand. Amen. Let us stand in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee and praise Thee that Thou hast not only given to us biographies of meekness in Moses and in the Lord Jesus Christ, but Thou hast even given to us 
biographies of anti-meekness in Balaam and in Judas. O God, we plead with thee that thou would teach us, that we would learn of thee, that our our hearts, O God, would be surrendered unto thee, that we would not go through, O Lord, a counterfeit meekness, a kind of giving an outward appearance of submission, but, O Lord, uh, not having the heart. We pray, our Lord, grant to us that growth in the grace and the fruit of meekness in our hearts and in our lives, O Lord. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.